Hi, hello. Welcome to another episode of Isaiah's Newsstand. It's your host, Isaiah Edwards. The date is November the 5th, 2022. Hopefully you're having a good one. Hopefully this episode finds you well. Um, Speaking of well or wellness, I'm feeling a little better. Not quite there yet. We still get, you know, the feeling, a little bit of the ick, a little bit of the mucus. But uh, we're keeping on with the keep on. Not much to really report in terms of the personal news. Like I said, we're just living life. We're just a rolling stone, baby doll. Um, so we can just get into the news. How about that? Um, I wanted to start off with a story that I initially heard from Crime Junkies. Uh, this is like way back. Maybe like last year I listened to it. But um, it is about a murder of two girls that took place in, um, let's see, Delphi, Indiana. Um, but I heard, I heard the story on, on Crime Junkies and what really drew me to, um, this story now was this, this, just the eeriness of it. And, and if you don't know what Crime Junkies is, essentially, um, at least from when I was listening to it, I I haven't like really completed it. I just kind of started a episode here or there, but, um, it's too two women they cover you know missing persons stories they cover murders that are unsolved and solved they just kind of run the gambit of like true crime type stuff or or true crime adjacent maybe you would say i don't know i feel like it's all true crime right i don't know but um this was just a unsolved murder where it had a really eerie element to it and that's what really stuck to my brain where it is these two girls, and they go on this trail. Um, it's what is it? Delphi Historic Trail. Um, trails. And this was, yeah, in February of 2017. Um, their dad, you know, dropped them off, and I believe, you know, was going to, you know, come back and um, pick them up. But when he came back, they weren't there, you know, but, you know, it, time had gone on. And so they call a search. And the search leads to finding two the two girls, um, Abigail Williams, who's, who was 13, and Liberty German, who was 14. Now, there's audio recording that police found and that they released. And you can, I think it's from the girls' phones. And you can hear just these, these few words. And it's guys, dot, 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 and then down the hill. And it just sounds so eerie on the tape. Like, I'm thinking about it. I know I'm not doing a good job displaying it. If you can get a chance to look it up, I would. I mean, I really did find this this case to be interesting. And it was really sad that it was unsolved. So there was always that part. Um, So, yeah, I mean, five and a half years. Um, Let's see. Did I read the title? We're just going to read the title. Um, CNN. A man has been arrested and charged with murder in the... 2017 killings of two teen girls in Indiana, authorities say. So, so yeah, here we are. We're in Delphi, Indiana. Now, the, um, you know, law enforcement has not come out with how they've come to this conclusion. They're saying that we can't yet. It'll come out, you know, in trial. But, um, 
It is a uh, 50-year-old Richard M. Allen. And um, another thing that was crazy is I didn't see, I mean, this kind of, I mean, obviously this is all coming out, but there was a sketch of the man. You know, I heard this on a podcast. I didn't get to see pictures. But the sketch that they had provided and had was just so far off from what this man actually looked like. Crazy. Also, another thing was um, the um, Alan, he worked at a CVS. So that was, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Let me get to why this is awkward. But he worked at a CVS and they didn't specify, you know, which exact one. But um, let's see. CVS has said um, in a statement that they are ready to cooperate with uh, the police investigation in any way we can. Um, let me read this part. Libby's grandmother, Becky Patty, and aunt Tara German were informed someone was in custody Wednesday and or on, on custody Wednesday and on Friday. And Friday they learned it was Alan, who police said worked at the CVLs in Delphi. They said, Patty does not know Alan, she said, but German is a regular at the CVS and knew Alan from shopping at the store. She recalled a specific encounter with Alan following Libby's death. I went into the store to print photos of Libby for the funeral, and he was the one who helped me. I was a mess trying to get the images off my phone. Once they were printed, he looked at me and said, I'm not going to charge you for this. So, just super surreal, super unsettling, super, like, to know that this guy knew, like, he knew, like, and and, and something that kind of helped bring this into a a fuller view for me um, was just hearing some more excerpts, like, from family members who are like, look, one of the hardest things for us was wrapping our heads around what kind of person did this? Like, was it someone who was a, a transient person, like moving town to town or something like that, who wasn't from here and took advantage of that and, you know, did these murders? Or was it someone who is literally in this town, just like the rest of us, just another person like us, a part of our community? Did they do it? You know, both are unsettling, both are heartbreaking. And to know and finally find out that it is this Allen guy and, you know, he worked at your local CVS, um, just so crazy. Um, let's see if there's anything else I wanted to kind of hit here. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely want to get into the trial when that happens, you know, whatever investigation kind of, you know, actually winds up, you know, talking about and discussing because like I said, this one just caught my attention. So, you know, we're starting here, starting with that. Um, let's go ahead and move on. Uh, the next one I got from BBC News. Ethiopia's Tigray conflict. Truce agreed. Um, a surprise deal has been reached in the Ethiopian civil war with both sides agreeing to halt their two-year conflict, which led to thousands of deaths and warnings of famine. So... This is something, you know, I haven't really been in, I haven't covered a lot of, you know, there's obviously a lot of news going on. I get some trickle in, trickle out, but, you know, essentially this was, you know, a conflict that, you know, has been going on for a long time, two years. Um, 
it has led to you know a lot of bloodshed, a lot of atrocities from both sides. Um, but let's see. Essentially, it was a breakdown of relations between the government and the TPLF, um, which is what the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, I believe. We'll run that back from wrong. Um, which had dominated the whole of Ethiopia for two decades until Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed came to power in 2018. So, um, just a lot of, you know, just conflict. I, I really don't know how else to word it. I mean, it's it's akin to, you know, situations that are going on across the world. And, you know, sadly, I don't think it got a lot of press. And, you know, my my broadcast has, you know, been to scale, unfortunately. But um, I definitely did want to get it in. Now, granted, this isn't the first time they've had a, a truce, but it does seem that this has been, like, um, the deepest that it's kind of gotten. And it looks like, you know, a lot of ground is being made, you know, here. Now, granted, there's also apparently, like, maybe, like, a side faction that might be involved, but they weren't here at the truce which is potentially worrying. I believe it was like the Etian tribe. Um, but essentially, you know, they have, you know, potential atrocities on their jacket, but they weren't here. So who knows if they are actually going to agree to any kind of ceasefire, any kind of truce. But um, definitely just something I kind of wanted to highlight and bring some attention to. Yeah, Tigray, People's Liberation Front. There you go. That's what it is. Um, let's see what else did I want to pull. Eat, eat. Eritrean troops. Sorry, that was not not a tribe. My bad. Um, anything else I wanted to get on here? Um, they do have more from the BBC. If there's like you know you want to get some more details there, obviously you know Google will get you around. You know how it go. Um, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little mid break. I'm gonna shake it up a bit. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, I'm back. The next one I got from ESPN. Kyrie Irving suspended at least five games by the Nets. Apologizes. Now, this is a story that developed this week. Kyrie Irving uh, plays for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, Man, I'm really doing the sports ball right now. Um, But, you know, obviously, you know, if I'm covering the sports, it's most likely not, you know, what what are the stats? What did he do? What are, what are the slam dunk? Where are the home run? You know I want, you know, there's shit going on. You know there's shit that's popping off. It's controversy most likely. Um, in this situation, it's, you know, we're, we're once again <coughs> having to deal with anti-Semitism. Now, in this situation, Kyrie Irving had tweeted like, uh, he posted a, a documentary, not that he made, but he was promoting. And um, essentially in this documentary, there was some anti-Semitic statements. And, you know, more or less it was being pushed by him. And the, you know, the commissioner of the NBA, uh, the team had said, hey, you have to issue an apology for this. You are, these the shit you're, you're saying and agreeing with... It's hurtful. And he's like, I'm not doing that. 
And so they're like, then we are going to suspend you for five games. And he's like, bet. And then he apologized. Um, and it's sad that it, it came to that. Um, I know that they were trying to do some damage control and um, the Nets and Kyrie Irving uh, both put up oh, excuse me, $500,000 to donate to charitable causes, um, you know, to help, you know, stop hate and stuff. But it was declined by the um, ADF, was it? ADL, yes. Anti-Defamation League. And they're like, no, dude, like, um, you're, you're just, you're just spewing the stuff. Let me actually read his apology, though. I wanted to, I wanted to start there, but, um, let's see. In an Instagram post, Irving wrote, to all Jewish families and communities that are hurt and affected from my post, I am deeply sorry to have caused you pain, and I apologize. I initially reacted out of emotion to being unjustly labeled anti-Semitic, Instead of focusing on the healing process of my Jewish brothers and sisters that were hurt from the hateful remarks made in the documentary, I want to clarify any confusion on where I stand fighting against anti-Semitism by apologizing for posting the documentary without context and a factual explanation outlining specific beliefs in the documentary I agreed with and disagreed with. I had no intention to disrespect any Jewish cultural history regarding the Holocaust or uh, perpetrate any hate. I am learning from this unfortunate event and hope we can find understanding between us all. Um, And then Irving also wrote that the movie contains some false anti-Semitic statements, narratives, and language that were untrue and offensive to the Jewish race religion and i take full accountability and responsibility for my actions so i mean that's a lot dude to to have watched this a to z and then post it thinking you're you're doing anyone a favor like that's already odd and then to to buck against saying hey dude you did something fucked up you need to apologize is also fucked up like i don't know i i kind of am glad this came because it you know, obviously it lines up with the shit that Kanye West is doing. And Kanye West has also been kind of, you know, fucking with Irving. They've, you know, uh, what is it? Um, he posted a Twitter post with just Irving's face and like black and white, no context, pretty much. Um, which, you know, uh, update, I guess there he's, you know, back on and off of Instagram and Twitter. He just can't help himself. He is getting, uh, he, you know, he's, he's staying weird, staying anti-Semitic, sadly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, I know I sometimes have to look at myself and, and constantly evaluate myself because I can definitely be contrarian. I can definitely come into situations saying, hey, how do we make the situation better from what I'm reading here, what I'm looking at, what I'm observing and taking in? Now, granted, it is always from a bird's eye third perspective, and I have to always check myself at the door, and I do my best to do that. But I know when I'm talking about Israel, and especially the Israel-Palestine situation, I am definitely trying to talk about and bring awareness to people being people and people being allowed to exist, you know, because I know in Israel, the right to exist is a big deal. It is, you know, very important. It's very key. And as everyone should, you should have that right. You should have the right to be a nation and to have your place. It's just you should not be allowed to take over someone else's place and oppress them. That's what I feel and think. Um, but I'm always open to have that dialogue and discussion. 
Um, because I know that you can say it better. I know that it can be worded better. Um, now, obviously, that's my shit. That's what I'm talking about for me. But this Kyrie Irving situation is very weird because he's coming in a situation being like, I know what I know. This is my history that I understand. And, you know, he really felt unshakable about it. But yet, obviously, money fucking talks and bullshit walks. So when you are getting suspended for five games and that's fucking up your bag, bro, you're not playing. That's not what you want. Oh, oh, here it is. This is the title of it. Um, Hebrews to Negroes. Wake up, black America. Um, I haven't watched it. I obviously have no intention to do that. I, I love doing this podcasting shit. I love researching, but I'm not staring into the abyss that deep. I'm, I'm just not, I'm just not guys. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry about it. But, um, I mean, I don't know. I could maybe speculate to what this kind of shit is. There's, there's definitely like, what is like a black Israelite thing, which is something that Kanye West has definitely kind of picked up, absorbed, melded with other narratives and is now spewing constantly um but that shit's a bunch of mumbo jumbo i'm just gonna keep it real um i don't subscribe to that shit at all um so yeah i'm i'm glad that this is fucking up his bag because you just cannot be on this line like the covid shit is a whole other issue but he already had his thing with like i don't want to take a vaccination i have my reasons yada 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 da, 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 da. and he held out he fought for that shit okay that's your thing but um, this is a whole other thing, dog. And um, I mean, like I said, you get what you get. <laughs> That's all I have to say on that, I guess. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see what else we got here. Um, going back to CNN, former Pakistan Prime Minister Imran Khan blames establishment figures for plot to kill him. Now we covered this, you know, populist. Um, Cricket playing, I'm trying to, what was the other adjective I wanted to use? Um, you know, Prime Minister, back in April, he was issued a vote of no confidence from his parliament. Um, and the military that formerly backed him to get his position no longer did. So he had to step down. Granted, his reasoning for this was this was a Western focused on the U.S., uh, back plot with parliament to overthrow him this is a betrayal and um he's been fighting ever since he hasn't stopped um i didn't have too much need to cover it but i will say he was um he had issued a a nationwide like march he was going to do and essentially he wanted to march from one part of pakistan to um like i guess like the capital and um he was going to like this whole thing was like this protest march and essentially he was um what is it yeah let's say the so-called long march to islamabad calling for early elections so he wanted to have a snap election and um it started from lior on the uh, 28th of october and was due to finish in islamabad after winding through several uh pakistani cities so this is like a big like hype up thing. He had a, a lot of his supporters, you know, with him along the way. And he was going up to, you know, do another speech, like kind of like a rally style thing. And someone just opens up on him and it opens up on his party that he's with. And, um, you know, someone was killed. One of, you know, you know, a supporter 
and uh, it was definitely a crazy scene. He was shot in the leg. Um, I believe he had like a fractured leg. They go through in um, after you know he goes through like surgery or what have you comes out. He does like a press conference and more or less he um, is blaming um, you know Pakistani officials. Um, he blames like three in particular, and they come out and say that you know these are grievous allegations. Uh, they are doing investigations. What they're saying, I don't know. I personally, this is Isaiah speculation here, right here. I'm injecting. I I think this is a reach. Um, at the same time, the person was apprehended. Now Imran Khan says he heard like a burst from two different directions. I think so. He's thinking there's two people. Um. But they only were only one person was apprehended, and um, you know he confessed to doing it. He said he, you know, what Imran Khan was doing was not right; it was unjust. And also, you know, to refresh, Imran Khan, the reason he was voted, you know, was issued a vote of no confidence, is because his policy, his direction, was leading to economic turmoil in Pakistan, and it was so bad. That people said, you got to go, dude. We need to do this without you. And um, he's like, no way, no how. And, um, you know, he's like I said, he's been fighting ever since. And, you know, this guy saying, hey, this dude is the reason I'm here. And I, you know, he's doing all this shit and I want to stop him. Um, obviously, I'm paraphrasing. But, you know, Imran Khan's like, nah, this is, um, you know, this guy's a patsy or what have you. You know, he's a pawn of the government and, um, but he doesn't have any evidence. And this is why I'm, I'm, I have my speculations because if you're going to say something this loud, which he's been doing time and time again, then where's your evidence? Where is it? Like just show, show people, but him and his, you know, his staff, you know, supporters are just kind of saying the same things that, you know, this is what we believe. We know this. But, you know, nothing to show. Um, so, you know, I'll definitely keep you posted. I, it, this was a, a good way to update, get it all caught up. Now, um, this next one, which, you know, I'm going to double down and, and do another breaky. But uh, I'm going to read the title. Uh, CNN Politics. Did a lot of CNN this week. Uh, or at least this episode. Takeaways from uh, SCOTUS, Supreme Court. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, takeaways from SCOTUS affirmative action cases conservatives may overturn precedent allowing race as a factor in admissions Um, okay let's get into it now, you know, we've we've obviously covered, you know, the Supreme Court's, you know, ruling on Roe v. Wade, the aftermath of all that. Um, as you should, ex- you know, expect, they were just getting warmed up. So, you know, they came in for their next session, you know, for the year. And more or less, this is a setup for their, you know, their issuing of a verdict for next year. Like, you know, they've done like a slew of cases uh, a lot of them are big, but um, let's see. There essentially were 
cases that were brought up by the students for fair admissions. Um, and they were issued, they were going up against um, Harvard and then also the University of North Carolina in regards to should affirmative action and, you know, obviously in regards to, you know, race, should race be a factor in admissions? And, um, I mean, this all divulges into a marathon, like what, five hour session or so, I think, um, of, you know, heated discussion. But, you know, as obvious, I have to remind the audience that this is a six to three conservative liberal majority. So the conservatives are up in a big fucking way here. Now, granted, I will say, because I'm going to do a lot of just more or less quick summarizing here so, you know, I can let you guys go. But, um, you know, essentially, they they got to talk on this, 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 this subject, and they will rule on it next year. But um, it doesn't look good. I got to say, from what I've gleaned, what I've seen, what has been told to me, this does not look good at all for affirmative action. More or less, as it stands, it's looking like a dead letter. It's looking like there's definitely going to be changes, if not just completely taken out. Um, but granted, um, like I said, it was. it's interesting to see everyone's approaches. The judges, you know, either conservative or uh, liberal, how they're going about it. Um, obviously, for me, Clarence Thomas is a big one because he is a conservative, but he is a black man. Um, you know, he makes some quotes and, and, and comments about how, you know, he just is so confused about diversity and how it's everything to people, like how it's, it's so hard to define what exactly it is. And there's a lot of talk and discussion about how, like, how can we do this in a situation when the Constitution says, because they're going by, like, the definition of the Constitution as it was, especially, like, what, amended or ratified, like, post, um, da, 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 the Civil War. So race should not be a factor. And the fact that race is a factor here is a problem, according to the conservative majority. And they lean on this very hard. And they are able to use this to kind of crowbar up the conversation to say, we should not have this on the factors for admissions. But that is such a very vital factor in terms of like what diversity is in schools. Um, Also, something that was kind of interesting, what is it, the student affair admissions more or less, this is a group of people that is um, a big split of white and Asian, you know, students who are, you know, pushing for just what they want is a, a neutral playing ground, a neutral play field to get into the colleges that they want to get into. Um, there are people who like, you know, feel like, hey, like, I, I'm a legacy student to this place, but like, why should it be harder for me because I'm not black or I'm not a person of color? Um, and I think from like the Asian perspective, it is, um, you know, if I have the stats and I'm making the grades, why should any, you know, why should I be somehow denoted or anything like that? Like, I don't know. It's kind of confusing to me in a lot of ways. I don't want to get too in the weeds about this because then I get all spun up. But, um, you know, essentially all the judges have their own 
you know, reasonings behind their backing, but it definitely is everyone's playing to their sides, you know, even though these people are arbiters and they're supposed to be not neutral. Um, but I mean, I personally, mean, I, I obviously, I guess I'm biased, but as a black man, I would rather affirmative action be a thing. Um, I will say though, they do mention another um, ruling, what is it, Gruder v. Bollinger, which plays a big factor. Um, I guess that was, like, maybe, like, the last update to, like, the affirmative action thing. Um, let's see. Yeah, it was a decision that was issued in 2003, I believe. Um, but essentially, there's a lot of talk of, like, we're setting up this affirmative action, and we're saying this should be a thing, because we believe that if you just give it even like 25 years, that should be enough time to allow, excuse me, sorry about that, ooh, I guess food corner, I did have some donuts from work, and um, they were good, um, but they were saying that um, within the 25 year span, that gives a catch up. Because we can't act like there isn't. like, um, But more or less they're saying, well, is that really going to be enough? And they ask like, the lawyers who are you know, uh, defending. And they're saying, well, honestly, like, we don't have a number in mind. Like, I, I believe Cody Barrett was a judge who said, well, can you give me a number? Um, shit. There was another judge. I can't remember which one it was. He had asked at one point in the discussion... Um, you know, at what point in your lineage, like, let's say if I am, you know, saying I'm of a, a certain race that is, you know, isn't white, like how far is too far in terms of like down a lineage? Like, is it great, great? And and the guy says, yeah, I think that should be fine. And he's like, what about great, great, great? And he's like, I think that should be fine. And he's like, are you going to make me go further and further and further? Like, how far do I have to go? Because he's trying to make the point of like, well, when are you just saying and phoning it in or lying? Like, how are we supposed to determine all these kind of things? And, it, and they're more or less just running, running, running spaghetti. Essentially trying to make the point that this isn't the right metric to use. It should just be getting, you know, taken, taken off. Now... They're willing to say potentially like, oh, okay, well, maybe we just find neutral race things to say. Like maybe on your application when you're applying, you can say you're a black student and you've had to overcome this adversity and this adversity and this adversity. And because you've mentioned it as a student on the application, we're okay with that. We'll take that and that'll uh, apply. But like, you shouldn't have to play coded games, in my opinion. You know, at the end of the day, and also, mind you, this isn't something that is actually supposed to, because, you know, with the updates of this whole affirmative action thing, this isn't supposed to be something that is actually noted. Like, you have to go up and around the bend to kind of get these kind of statistics and, and get these kind of numbers, and doing any kind of augmentation to affirmative action is going to make it even harder for universities to do that to get diversity. And... One of the lawyers defending adds that if you quell diversity, which is what this would do, because you're definitely going to more or less make, you know, it's going to be like an all white thing or an all black school or an all Asian school. Like you're going to drastically affect the numbers one way or another. Um, 
And that's sad because you're going to dilute the, you know, workforce in the future. You know, when you get out of these major schools, some of which you wouldn't have had access to without affirmative action, you're going to have a, a lot better prospects than, let's say, just going to a community college or what have you. I hate that personally about the system, but that is the way that it is. Um, so I would just hate to see affirmative action change, especially because you can bring up that 25-year thing, but I think that was a cop-out to just try to get it on the board. I, I agree with the defense saying, like, look, like, I don't think you can put a number on this shit because racism isn't done. Like, that was a silly thing to say. They were being silly gooses for that. Um, but I mean, hey, we'll see how it shakes out. Um, that's more or less all I got, though. Um, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, I got a Patreon, patreon.com, plus Um, you know the fiddle faddle there. If you'd like to donate, help a brother out, get on the team, become a newsie. I'd love you for it. Um, but I got a free way to hit me up, gmail.com, so or gmail.com at IsaiahNews1. There you go. And, um, you can find me online if you'd like to find me, chit chat, if you'd like. Um, but, um, hopefully I see you soon for some more good news. And I love you. Bye-bye. Mwah.